0: That. okay? All right. James chapter 1 is where we'll be. James chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses, uh, let's see here, we're going to be in verse number 21 through the end of the chapter, and as we come to these verses, keep in mind what's going on, all right? Keep in mind that as we come to the book of James, James is writing to Jewish believers, and these believers have been largely scattered from their homes because of the persecution that has come upon them, upon the early church, upon these new and early believers from the religious and political crowd of, of the day. So the people that James is writing to are people who are hurting, they are struggling, they are confused to say the least and so many other things going on. And so James knows this and he wants to sit down under in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he wants to instruct and encourage these dear people. So that's why he's writing, all right? And as we've been in chapter 1 of James, James has primarily been dealing with this main topic and this main word of, who remembers? Starts with a T, ends with the yeah, temptations. Temptations, that's right. All right, he's been mainly dealing with that. And uh, temptations here in chapter 1 has two different meanings, two different uh, definitions. And, of course, the defining of that term and of that word is dependent upon the context in which it is written. And we know that verses 2 through 12, when James talks of temptations, he is meaning more along the lines of trials, troubles, and the persecutions that these believers are facing and enduring. And then the second meaning that we've seen through, uh, from, this, from this word and from chapter 1 is this one, the temptation to, uh, to sin or enticement to sin or to do evil. And you can see that in the context of verses 13 through 16. So as James dives right into his first chapter of the book he's writing, he's dealing with people who are tempted on different levels, yet all at the same time. Tempted to, uh, to sin, tempted to give in to evil, yet facing temptations of trials, troubles, and more, all going on at the same time in this first century. But guess what? We as believers in the 21st centuries face the exact same things even at the same time as well. So as James has been dealing with the main subject of temptations and trials, he then comes down to the conclusion of chapter 1 and brings up a very important topic that should be central in our lives and it should be of utmost importance in our lives especially as we deal with life in general, yes but especially as we deal with temptations yes, temptations to sin but also the trials and troubles and tribulations and difficulties that we face and the important topic that he begins to deal with is none other than the word of God. Look at James with me, if you will. James 1, starting verse number 21. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass which he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he be not forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Our fathers, we look to your word again this evening. I pray that you'd help us to put aside all distractions and other things that outside these walls that would uh, keep us from honing in and learning and growing in your word and growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray you'd help us. Speak to our hearts tonight. We love you, and Lord, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know if you noticed it or not as we read these verses, but four times in this passage, in these verses alone, the Bible is referred to. You can see it called the Word in verses 21, 22, and 23. And that word, that Greek word for word there is logos, meaning he's, he's regarding, talking about the entirety of Scripture. Then he he looks to the word or to the Bible as the perfect law of liberty in verse number 25. So it looks like to me as I read the conclusion of James 1 here that James is trying to emphasize the importance of God's word in our lives, especially in the overall context of dealing with trials and temptations of life, all right? So keep all that in mind as we look this evening at the Word of God. The first thing I want to see, as James tells us, from from this portion of Scripture and in the context of what he's talking about when it comes to the Word of God is this. Number one, we as believers must accept. We must receive. We must accept the Word of God. Look at verse 21 again, all right? wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls now let's just quickly do a little verse study here all right in verse 21 uh, you see as we read this verse one may think that James he may be addressing the wicked world and their wicked deeds especially when he says to lay aside all your filthiness now we would all agree that our world is pretty filthy, yes? Okay, okay, a few of you, yes, all right. Pretty filthy. If you don't believe me, ask an undercover cop, they'll tell you, all right? But, uh, but, uh, but anyway, so it is a filthy world in which we live, but be reminded, James is not writing to the filthy world. He's not writing to lost people. He's not writing to them. Rather, he is writing and talking about this and to this subject to save people. Be reminded, he is writing to the brethren. Again, 15 times in these five chapters of this book, he says this word, brethren. So he is writing to believers, and he's telling them to lay aside first all filthiness. Now, we are more familiar with this word than the next one we're going to see, but be reminded that filthy or filthiness would refer to anything that would defile, anything that would make filthy especially in an immoral way, all right? So when you see that word here in verse 21 where it talks about filthiness, we can understand that phrase. We can understand laying aside filthy things, laying aside filthy habits, laying aside filthy speech or filthy deeds or filthy whatever, you fill in the blank. We understand what filthiness is and that it would have no place, it should have no place And a child of God. But the next phrase in this context of verse 21, we come to this one. Superfluity of naughtiness. (laughs) Anybody use that phrase today in your speech? Anybody said that to your boss today? No? Okay. (laughs) Uh, This is a phrase we're not as familiar with. And you look at that word, you read that word, maybe you've read it a dozen times or more, and you say, what in the world is that? And that's as far as you go, and you go on to the next verse. Well, what is he saying? What does it mean, superfluity of naughtiness? We don't normally say that in our modern vernacular. What does does it mean? Well, this, this phrase means this. It means that leftover or that residual or that remaining sin or wickedness or evil that we've had in our lives from before we got saved. It's that residual sin from before we came to know Jesus as our Savior. That's what it means here. You see, the moment we get saved, understand something, the moment we accept Jesus as our Savior, at that moment we are fully and completely saved. We are redeemed fully in the Lord, meaning there's no three, five, or ten-step process. is what I'm saying, okay? You are completely saved when you, are, when you come to the Lord as your Savior. But understand, getting saved all the way does not equate to being sanctified all the way. Meaning we still live in his tabernacle of flesh. And the flesh in which we live, it is weak, is it not? It is still wicked. It is still fallen. And yes, it does crave those fleshly things of the past before you even come to know Jesus as your Savior. Let me ask you, as saved people. How many of you struggle from time to time with your flesh? Anybody want to be honest this evening? Okay, both my hands go up, all right. So for those that didn't raise your hand, I'll raise mine for you, okay? I struggle with it. I'm sure many of you do as well, but we're not alone. You see, as I read in, our, in my Bible, I still see men such as Paul and others who struggle and did struggle with the very flesh in which they lived. The Bible says in Romans chapter 7, verse 13 through 25, I'll read it to you quickly. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I, Paul speaking, giving his testimony, but I am carnal, meaning his fleshly nature, giving into that desires, that sinful fallen nature, meaning I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. He is talking about the struggles that every believer can have, that battle between the flesh and the spirit. Then he goes on to say, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. That in now then is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil, the bad things, the worthless things, the depraved things, the evil which I would not—meaning I don't want to do those things—I don't want to do. That I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He's talking about that sinful nature, by the way, the flesh. But he said, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me as a constant battle. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, meaning his spirit would leap for joy for the things of God. His spirit would rejoice when the Lord speaks to his heart from the Bible or the sweetness of Christian fellowship or the, the, the sound preaching of the word of God or enjoying some worshipful, Christ-honoring music. Listen, our hearts leap during those times, do they not? Can anybody say yes to that? We understand what he's talking about there when he says, I delight in the law of God after the inward man, because that's what the inward man delights after. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into the captivity of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, the flesh, the law of sin. Understand, Paul, he had a strong desire to serve God, and I believe wholeheartedly he did a very good job at that. Would you agree? I believe he did. Yet he struggled constantly, consistently, I should say at least, with the flesh. There's that war going on. We struggle. We all have that battle. And yes, sometimes we have that residual naughtiness, if you will, that needs to be laid aside. But how? How? Uh, Dealing with the temptations. Again, keep context in mind. How do we deal with the temptations to enticement to sin? How, how, does that, how do we deal with those, those things? How can we overcome? How can we help lay aside those filthy things in our lives? Well, we must do this. Look at your Bibles again. Verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity, and naughtiness, and receive. Verse 21. Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. We must receive with meekness the engrafted word, meaning we we have to humbly accept God's word. We must humbly receive the engrafted word. Now, I love this word here, verse 21, engrafted. And it means this. It means to be implanted. Now, let me ask you this. Anybody here familiar with the grafting process when it comes to plants and things like that? Anybody familiar with that? A few of you? I had no clue what that was. I, when I started looking this word up, I, I came across what it means to graft things together. And so if you're like me, you don't know what that means, let me tell you a little bit quickly the process of it. You see, in the grafting process, the flesh of a tree branch will be partially cut open, or like, a, like a wound kind of thing, but partially cut open. And then a branch from a different tree can be cut to fit into that place of the opening. Then you would bind up or bound uh, around that opening to allow that branch to grow inside or into that tree. This is kind of the picture I get as I read here from James chapter 1 that he's trying to paint. He is saying that filthiness filthiness that's in your life, that residual evil that can be in your life that, that that you know about, and by the way, so does the devil. He'll try to use that against you to entice you to sin. Again, temptations, talking about in chapter one. He knows all about that, and so do you. But if we humble ourselves and receive the word of God, accept the word of God, accept what it says about us, accept what it says about our sin, then... We'll begin to graft our lives. The Bible will begin to graft our lives. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick. That word quick there, by the way, does not mean fast. It means living. The word of God is living. It is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing. It cuts, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. It is discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Understand the word of God can cut, it can graft our lives, cut out what doesn't need to be there and put in what does need to be there. And when that happens, we begin to see fruit in our lives, more desirable fruit at least, spiritual fruit, all from the engrafted word. If we receive it again, this word receive in verse 21 carries the idea of taking hold of, carries the idea of learning and grasping what God is trying to teach us And to show us. So, when we say you need to learn, we need to learn the Word of God. That's what James is teaching us. Learn what God is saying and receive it and accept it. But not only do we need to accept it, number two, we need to adhere to it. We need to adhere to it. And by this, this is what I mean we need to obey. Look again, the Bible says in verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty continueth therein, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. James tells him, not only do you need to receive it, not only do you need to learn it and know it, but you need to obey it. And this is where the rubber meets the road in the life of a believer. As we come face to face with Scripture, as we come face to face with the Bible, as we learn what God is trying to show us and teach us, it is then we must obey it you see many times we don't have a problem understanding what the Bible says there are some things that can be hard to be understood even Peter said that about some of Paul's writings he said they're hard to be understood and I would say yes amen to that Okay, but, uh, but sometimes we'll have an issue understanding what the Bible says or even an issue of what it's trying to teach we see the instruction as we read it we hear the truth as being taught and as it's being preached But after it's being taught, and after it's being instructed, and after it's being preached, there is a decision that has to be made when we come face to face with the Word of God. And that is this decision. Am I going to obey it or not? Am I going to do what it says or not? That's where the rubber meets the road. Will I obey or will I disobey the Word of God? Now I'll tell you, disobedience to the Word, it can bring about grave consequences. Uh, disobedience truly is a, it's a terrible sin. <laughs> it can be a very heartbreaking sin in the life of a believer by not doing what our God tells us to do through His, through his Word. You know, sometimes we want to categorize sin and on one half, have a, a pro and con type list of sins, and make a sin that may, or a list of sins, that may be acceptable and some unacceptable, and list sins that are bad and some well, not you know, not it's not as bad. You know, sometimes we want to we want to do that, and for most believers today, when it comes to obeying the word or not obeying the word, it's like, yeah, it's not that bad, you know you know it's not like i killed somebody it's not like i'm adulterer or nothing i mean i just didn't do what it told me on this instance of my life eh, it's not that bad no that's terrible because <laughs> it began to lead down a road that you'll wish you'd never never been on i understand something disobeying god and his word is a huge deal a huge deal to God and you know why it's because through the first sin which was disobedience it was that very thing that plunged humanity and the world into sin and the effects of sin we see today all because of disobedience the Bible says in Romans 5 verse 12 through 19 wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned for until the law Sin was in the world, but, but <clears throat> sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was to come, but none as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many, and not as it was by one that sinned, so was the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Paul is comparing the, what the, the obedience really of Jesus to the disobedience of Adam. All right. And this, here's what he said. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and a gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men a condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And of course, that one man's disobedience was none other than Adam himself. Do you remember you remember what happened in the garden in Genesis chapter number 3, verses 1 through 6 with Adam and Eve. I'm sure you do, but if you don't, let me remind you. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you should not surely die. For God doth know that in a day eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, when you hear these verses and you read these verses, let me ask you what was the temptation that the devil brought to Eve? Now, some may say the temptation was this that the temptation was to eat the apple, all right? Well, first off, how do you know it was an apple? Apples are delicious. Somebody say amen, all right. Uh, my uh, humble, I don't know to say conviction, opinion, it wasn't an apple, it was a beet. Maybe one time, beets grew on trees. And because they took that forbidden fruit, God decided to bury it to spare the rest of mankind. But in our sinful nature, what we do, we dug it back up and we still eat it today. And I don't care how much butter you put on the beet, still tastes like dirt, but anyway. That wasn't a temptation, though. The temptation wasn't just, well, here, eat this fruit. No, I think that was just the fruit of the root of temptation. You see, the root of temptation here was this. Eve, I want you to know something. I want you to know you can live independent of what God says. I want you to know you don't need to listen to God. You don't need to heed God's word. It's okay to disobey. That's what a serpent would have said. It's okay. You don't have to listen to the Lord. Understand something. Eve, may, she may have been deceived, but Adam, he, he did exactly what he knew he was doing. He went in with his eyes wide open. Because the Bible says in Genesis 3, 6, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Listen, he knew what he was doing. He knew what God had said. He knew what God had wanted, but he and Eve both, they disobeyed the Lord. It was that sin of disobedience that plunged humanity in the depths of depravity. So I want you to know something. When it comes to disobedience, and especially to God's word, it is a big deal. And if we would treat it more so as a big deal, we would keep ourselves from a lot of, from a lot of messes we come to and make in our lives. We must humbly accept the word and we must obey the word of God. Now I understand that some people today think it's absolutely absurd to obey the Bible. They think it's archaic. They think it's irrelevant. And folks that, want to, that don't want to obey the Bible and do their own thing and they think their own fallen wisdom and own fallen logic think they know better than God. And any time we disobey, blatantly disobey the Lord, that is our attitude. Now, nah, I got this. I know what God's word says, but oh, dangerous combination right there, my friend. The Bible says in Proverbs 1, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight and are scorning fools hate knowledge. Turn yet my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But you have said it not my counsel, and would none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer they shall seek me early but they shall not find me for that they hated knowledge yet did not choose the fear of the Lord they would none of my counsel they despise all my reproof therefore shall they eat other food their own way and be filled with their own devices for a turning away of the simple shall slay them and a the prosperity of fool shall destroy them but whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil in the context of this Proverbs 22 I'm sorry 1 Chapter 1, verse 22, he's speaking of wisdom. But where do you get wisdom? You get it from God and his word. I understand God did not give us his word just to have some good literature to read or just to cherry pick some principles to live by. No, no, no. He gave us the word of God to obey. Amen, preacher. Thank you. All right. We must obey the word of God. Listen, you can go your own way. You can do your own thing, but here's the end of it. In Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Do you know who penned that? starts with an S, ends with an Solomon. Solomon. Solomon penned that verse. He is the human penman that God used to write the book of Proverbs. And... Uh, he is known as the, we would say, the wisest man, of course, outside of Jesus, whoever lived upon the earth, but yet he did some very foolish things, did he not? And Many times those foolish things came about because he would not listen to what God had already said. And so he wrote these words in Ecclesiastes 2.11, Then I looked, all, uh, looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I, had labored, that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity, empty, and vexation of spirit, I meaning was just kind of torturous in my spirit, There's no prophet under the sun. And of course, he knowing this at the end of his life, Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What is it? Solomon, tell me. I need some wisdom. You're the wisest man to live. Tell me. What is the conclusion of the whole matter? Here it is. Fear God. Keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. In short, he is saying just obey the word of God. And we must do the same. We must obey the word of God. We need help in the area of temptations. Go to the word of God and do what it says. We need help in the trials and troubles that we face. Let's go to the word of God and do what it says. Listen, the Bible is sufficient enough for your life and for mine. But we must accept it. We must learn it. And we must adhere to it. We must obey it. But if we don't, if we don't accept it, if we don't adhere to it, then third and lastly, here's what we're doing we're just acting. Look what the Bible says. Again, in verse number 22. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Beholdeth himself, goes his way, and straightway forgeteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty, continueth therein, and being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. But again, verse 22, he says, Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Anybody here, when you were younger, you liked to to play pretend as a kid? Anybody? Yeah, I did too. I liked to... uh, Play pretend. I pretended that I was a G.I. Joe a lot of times. And pretended I was a ninja turtle. Yeah, I have have the shape for a turtle. But anyway... (laughs) Don't laugh hurts my feelings. No, just kidding. But uh, pretend as a ninja turtle. But the one I pretended a lot, a lot of times was MacGyver. Anybody ever watched the old MacGyver? Man, that dude was cool. I only have one thing against him, though. He never used a gun. I mean, I think that's kind of foolish. But anyway, but I thought MacGyver was cool. He could take a bobby pin and some aluminum foil and come up with some kind of bomb. I don't know how he did it, but it was cool. And so I would try to do the same thing. No, I never made a bomb. All right, but uh, but I thought it was really cool to do. They even had the Swiss Army knife that he carried around, you know, and uh, and used that for whatever even cutting my fingers a couple of times But anyway i always try to pretend i was macgyver or pretend i was a gi joe or pretend whatever it was in that moment playing army with my friends or whatever but we all pretended to play growing up and in that moment when we were pretending in that moment of our imagination we were being someone or thinking we were someone or something we were really not well, this is exactly what a Christian is doing, believers doing, when they're not receiving the Word nor obeying the Word. They just pretending. They just acting. We come to church. We hear the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. We read it, study it, hear it, and do nothing about it. We just play it. So that's why I say the rubber meets the road when it comes to obedience to the Word of God. And if we're going to, rather if we're not going to accept it or adhere to it, the only person we're deceiving, we're not deceiving God. We're not deceiving others. The real person we're deceiving, look at it again, verse 22 be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So you want to not find yourself just pretending, acting. Then let's be believers who obey the word of God. Obedience. Obedience is the key. And by the way, if you do, look at what it says. And whoso looketh, verse 25, looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, being not forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. I believe God blesses obedience to his word. I'll say amen for you. <laughs> I believe he does. So my encouragement to you this evening as we finish is simply this. When it comes to the Word of God, if you get nothing else, nothing else out of this this evening or for the rest of the week or the rest of your life, understand this. Pastor Philip encourage you highly to obey the Word.